As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Hello friends, I'm Rick Warren and welcome to Spurgeon's Sermons. This is the official podcast brought to you by Premier and Spurgeon's College. You know, the teachings of Charles Spurgeon have had a personal impact on my life in a profound way and I'm confident they'll do the same for you. So get ready to be challenged, equipped and guided by Charles Spurgeon who is universally regarded as the greatest English preacher in the history of the church. Supposing Him to be the Gardener, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, part one. Supposing Him to be the Gardener, John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 15. I was sitting about a fortnight ago in a very lovely garden, in the midst of all kinds of flowers which were blooming in delightful abundance all around. Screening myself from the heat of the sun, under overhanging boughs of an olive tree, I cast my eyes upon palms and bananas, roses and camellias, oranges and aloes, lavender and heliotrope. The garden was full of colour and beauty, perfume and fruitfulness. Surely the gardener, whoever they might be, who had framed and fashioned and kept in order that lovely spot, deserved great commendation. So I thought. And then it came to me to meditate upon the church of God as a garden and to suppose the Lord Jesus to be the gardener and then to think of what would most assuredly happen if it were so. Supposing him to be the gardener, my mind conceived of a paradise where all sweet things flourish and all evil things are rooted up. If an ordinary worker had produced such beauty, as I then saw and enjoyed on earth, what beauty and glory must surely be brought forth, supposing him to be the gardener? You know the him to whom we refer, the ever-blessed Son of God, whom Mary Magdalene, in our text, mistook for the gardener. We will, for once, follow a saint in her mistaken track, and yet we shall find ourselves going in a right way, She was mistaken when she fell into supposing him to be the gardener. But if we are under his Spirit's teaching, we shall not make a mistake, if now we indulge ourselves in a quiet meditation upon our ever-blessed Lord, supposing him to be the gardener. It is not an unnatural supposition, surely. For if we may truly sing... We are a garden walled around, chosen and made peculiar ground. That enclosure needs a gardener. Are we not all the plants of his right hand planting? Do we not all need watering 
and tending by his constant and gracious care. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman, and that is one view of it. But we may also sing, My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine. That is to say, he acted as gardener to it. Thus has Isaiah taught us to sing a song of the well-beloved touching his vineyard. We read of our Lord just now under these terms, Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice. To what purpose does he dwell in the vineyards, but that he may see how the vines flourish, and care for all the plants? The image, I say, is so far from being unnatural that it is most pregnant with suggestions and full of useful teaching. We are not going against the harmonies of nature when we are supposing him to be the gardener. Neither is the figure unscriptural, for in one of his own parables our Lord makes himself to be the dresser of the vineyard. We read just now that parable, so full of warning. When the certain man came in and saw the fig tree that it brought forth no fruit, he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? Who was it that intervened between that profitless tree and the axe, but our great intercessor and interposer? He it is who continually comes forward with, Let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. In this case, he takes upon himself the character of the vine dresser, and we are not wrong in supposing him to be the gardener. If we would be supported by a type, our Lord takes the name of the second Adam, and the first Adam was a gardener. Moses tells us that the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Man in his best estate was not to live in this world in a paradise of indolent luxury, but in a garden of recompensed toil. Behold, the church is Christ's Eden, watered by the river of life, and so fertilised that all manner of fruits are brought forth unto God. And he, our second Adam, walks in this spiritual Eden to dress it and to keep it. And so by a type, we see that we are right in supposing him to be the gardener. Thus also Solomon thought of him when he described the royal bridegroom as going down with his spouse to the garden. When the flowers appeared on the earth and the fig tree had put forth her green figs, he went out with his beloved for the preservation of the gardens, saying, Take us, the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Neither nature, nor scripture, nor type, nor song forbids us to think of our adorable Lord Jesus as one who cares for the flowers and fruits of his church. We err not when we speak of him supposing him to be the gardener, and so I sat still and indulged the suggested line of thought 
which I now repeat in your hearing, hoping that I may open many roads of meditation for your hearts also. I shall not attempt to think out such a subject thoroughly, but only to indicate in which direction you may look for a vein of precious ore. Supposing him to be the gardener, we have here the key to many wonders in the garden of his church. The first wonder is that there should be a church at all in the world, that there should be a garden blooming in the midst of this sterile waste. Upon a hard and flinty rock, the Lord has made the Eden of his church to grow. How did it come to be here? An oasis of life in a desert of death? How came faith in the midst of unbelief and hope where all is servile fear? and love where hate abounds. Ye are of God, little children, and the whole world lieth in the wicked one. From where came this being of God, where all else is wrapped up in the devil? How did there come to be a people for God, separated and sanctified and consecrated and ordained to bring forth fruit unto his name? Assuredly, it could not have been so at all if the doing of it had been left to men and women. We understand its existence, supposing him to be the gardener. But nothing else can account for it. He can cause the fir tree to flourish instead of the thorn, and the myrtle instead of the briar. But no one else can accomplish such a change. The garden in which I sat was made on the bare face of the rock, and almost all the earth of which its terraces were composed had been brought up there from the shore below by hard labour. And so upon the rock a soil had been created. It was not by its own nature that the garden was found in such a place, but by skill and labour it had been formed. Even so the Church of God has had to be constructed by the Lord Jesus, who is the author as well as the perfecter of his garden. Painfully, with wounded hands, has he built each terrace and fashioned each bed and planted each plant. All the flowers have had to be watered with his bloody sweat and watched by his tearful eyes. The nail prints in his hands and the wound in his side are the tokens of what it cost him to make a new paradise. He has given his life for the life of every plant that is in the garden, and not one of them has been there on any other theory than supposing him to be the gardener. Besides, there is another wonder. How comes the Church of God to flourish in such a climate? This present evil world is very uncongenial to the growth of grace, and the Church is not able by herself alone to resist the evil influences which surround her. The Church contains within itself elements which tend to its own disorder and destruction if left alone, even as the garden has present in its soil all the germs of a tangled thicket of weeds. 
the best church that ever Christ had on earth, would within a few years apostatize from the truth if deserted by the Spirit of God. The world never helps the church. It is all in arms against it. There is nothing in the world's air or soil that can fertilise the church, even to the least degree. How is it then that notwithstanding all this, the church is a fair garden unto God, and there are sweet spices grown in its beds, and lovely flowers are gathered by the divine hand from its borders? The continuance and prosperity of the church can only be accounted for by supposing him to be the gardener. Almighty strength is put to the otherwise impossible work of sustaining a holy people among men. Almighty wisdom exercises itself upon this otherwise insuperable difficulty. Hear ye the word of the Lord and learn the reason for the growth of his church below. I, the Lord, do keep it. I will water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I will keep it night and day. That is the reason for the existence of a spiritual people still in the midst of a godless and perverse generation. This is the reason for an election of grace in the midst of surrounding vice and worldliness and unbelief. Supposing him to be the gardener, I can see why there should be fruitfulness and beauty and sweetness even in the centre of the wilderness of sin. Another mystery is also cleared up by this supposition. The wonder is that you and I should have been placed among the plants of the Lord. Why are we allowed to grow in the garden of his grace? Why me, Lord? Why me? How is it that we have been kept there and born with in our barrenness when he might long ago have said, cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? Who else would have borne with such waywardness as ours? Who could have manifested such infinite patience? Who would have tended us with such care? And when the care was so ill-rewarded, who would have renewed it so long from day to day and persisted in designs of boundless love? Who could have done more for his vineyard? Who could or would have done so much? Any mere man would have repented of his good intent, provoked by our ingratitude. None but God could have had patience with some of us. That we have not long ago been slipped off as fruitless branches of the vine, that we are left still upon the stem in the hope that we may ultimately bring forth fruit is a great marvel. I know not how it is that we have been spared except upon this ground, supposing him to be the gardener. For Jesus is all gentleness and grace, so slow with his knife, so tardy with his axe, so hopeful if we do but show a bud or two, or perchance yield a little sour berry. So hopeful, I say, that these may be hopeful predictions of something better by and by. Infinite patience, immeasurable long-suffering. Where are you to be found 
but in the breast of the well-beloved. Surely the gardener's hoe has spared many of us simply and only because he who is meek and lowly in heart is the gardener. Thank you for listening, friends. This podcast was brought to you by Premier in association with Spurgeon's College. For more Christian podcasts, sermons, and music, head back to the website premier.plus and sign in for free.